0: There are so many moving parts in hospitality, you know, we're not making one particular product and, you know, we've got long-term clients that sell, you know, effectively, let's call it the widget factory, um, you know, in our in our world, our world's moving all the time and, and you, you're being judged every service, you know, you're being held accountable. Um, so I, I love all of that.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've discussed the impact on restaurants and cafes over the last year, but the events and catering industries are still in limbo. As our society opens up again, what do large restaurant format events look like? And will we see a renewed offering over the next few years as as operators adapt and evolve? Manny Spinola is the founder of Grand Pacific Group and has a new venue, Lola's on Level 1, Manny, how are you?
0: I'm really well, Anthony, and
1: yourself? I'm really good. You've got a brand new venue, which I'm very excited to talk about. But Grand Pacific Group has so many iconic venues for large events. What's this last year and a half been like for you with, with,
0: with those sites? It's been incredibly difficult, Anthony, as you can appreciate um, being in the events business. And a large part of our business is the wedding business. It's been in incredibly difficult dealing with our clients and really um, having to, to effectively postpone and cancel events that have been planned for months and sometimes years in advance. It's It's been very hard, both on the clients and, and on the business. Uh, we've been able to navigate our way through to this stage, and I, I think in, in a way that um, has been sensitive to our clients and, and um you know, has also taken into account the well-being of our staff and the job security of our staff. And here we are today. I feel like we're um, reopening for the first time, even though I've been doing this for 30 years. Well, you have uh, so many amazing sites, the Blue Room, the Tea Room,
1: Sergeant's Mess, Gunner's Barracks. Have they been treated differently in this time?
0: uh not really you know the reality is that um those businesses that that you've mentioned uh, predominantly are in the events business um there's a handful gunners barracks dunbar house the tea room at the qvb um that do have an a la carte arm so we we, we do afternoon tea and we also do uh, breakfast and lunch at dunbar house and and lunch at gunners barracks and so in those instances, we've been able to um, start reasonably quickly after a lockdown, but with, with events it's a much more difficult um, because they need to be planned, they need to take into account other factors that are outside just opening up the doors. So, for example, borders reopening, both at um, interstate and international um, need to take into account um, all sorts of um situations such as, um, you know, a the, the, guess whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. So there are other issues beyond just being able to open the doors. Obviously, the capacity limits impact as well greatly. Um, so if you've, you know, an example might be, you might have a, a wedding for 200 people, capacity limits, one in four will limit Say, for instance, I'll give you an example, sergeant's Mess, our limits then fall to as low as, I think, at one in four, it's about 120-odd people. So we then have to look at either um, reducing numbers or finding a date later in the year. And if you can multiply that, um, hundreds of times, you can see the challenge and the complicated nature of trying to uh, reopen again in a, in a way that, that allows both the business to be successful and also takes into account the wants and wishes of our clients.
1: How do you approach the offering of, of these type of event venues? Uh, they, they operate a little bit differently to restaurants. Is there, is there a different modus operandi in regards to the food and the
0: service? Look, when I started the business back in 1997, I, I really saw an opportunity to create, for want of a better description, an event, but with restaurant sensibilities. So um, food that was cooked to order and wasn't pre-cooked, um, food that was more than protein and veg on a plate um, that had some finesse and a nuance um, and a standard that was – um, as close as possible to a, well, I, I wouldn't say a fine dining restaurant, but a dining restaurant, and then sort of mm-hmm. service that matched. Um, and in the most part, we've been able to achieve that, and that's that really forms the the what I believe that the DNA and the heart of Grand Pacific Group is that we try and to the best of our ability create experiences that are dining and service orientated. So small factors like wine being served from a station rather than being put on a table. Um, you know, serviettes being folded when guests leave tables, just those nuances that you would expect in a dining establishment. So I, I have tried to mirror that, but of course it's, it is an event venue. So there are, you know, it, it, it is different in the sequence of service and how that happens. Um, we've, we've really, um, Endeavoured to create experiences um, that that are um, above the average with Grand Pacific Group, and I hope that we've been able to achieve that. Where you we know, we've been in business now for 24 years, we've put together a great group of people um, that form the heart and soul of our business. Um, we I'm very proud to say that we have staff members who are heading towards 20 years with with our business, and lots of staff members that are 10 plus and plenty that are five to 10. So um, that makes me really proud that we've been able to hold and retain staff. Um, although I must say, Anthony, it is incredibly challenging at the moment. And I, and I dare say you'll be asking me a question about um, staff and staff, with sure at the moment in our industry. Well, well let's go there. What's, what what are the issues that you're facing and, and do you see some solutions? Huge issues. Um, Not only for my business, but for the entire industry, Um, everyone that I speak to, um, whether they're a business owner, a general manager, a venue manager, an assistant manager, a head chef, a sous chef, um, or an executive chef, we're getting the same response um, that our industry is on its knees. And and I'm not, you know, um, I'm not a a dramatic person, but it's seriously in all the time that I've been in this business now heading towards 35 years. I've never seen it like this. Um, it needs to be a partnership between private and, and um, government in how we address this. And I think there are many facets to it, but we, we definitely need to broaden the skilled migrant visa to include um, front of house, make it a pathway that's easy. We also need to even think about um positions like kitchen porters, cleaners, we don't have enough of those people. As Australians, we love to entertain. We love to socialize with our family and friends, but we can only do this if we can execute. And in order to execute at a high level, we need people. And um, unfortunately, um, as Australians, we don't see hospitality um, in the most part as a career option. And so it, it, it's not attractive or aspirational, and I think we really need to work together um, as an industry and with government in, in addressing that. And whether that's via education, um, whether that's also better pay scales, obviously that will have a knock-on effect on price. Um, We then need to, you know, the obvious ones out of lockdown are the um, student visas. We need to get our students back into Australia. We need to get tourists. I mean, our our businesses, particularly during high season, are so dependent on tourists um, who have a working visa, a six-month working visa, and they really fill the gap. Um, And I think all of those areas really need to be addressed and they need to be addressed now. There's a real urgency Um, in hospitality and that's not only um, restaurants and cafes and event venues that's hotels that's tourist operators Um, and and, uh, it's a real problem and if we don't address it we you know to give you an example we have to close um, at some of our venues on on the the slower days just to keep the doors open at the moment and uh, you know I've never I've never been forced to do that in the past. There are many, many
1: challenges with reopening um, at the moment, but uh, are there opportunities to solve issues in in the sector um, and and approach a new uh, dawn of hospitality that you can see?
0: Uh, Absolutely. I think the education piece is um, the the big piece. I think we need to create... um, opportunities for young people, school leavers to be educated in our industry. It's a wonderful industry. I mean, it's so rewarding. We're we are in a, I, I often will say to um, our teams, we're in a happy business. We're in the business of creating amazing social experiences, whether it's a, a lunch or a dinner with family, whether it's an iconic birthday or a wedding or a large corporate awards dinner. It can be any, matter, any style of event or type of event. But typically, um, you know, we bring people together, we drink, we eat together, and that's that's a really beautiful thing. Um, but in order to do that, we need to have trained professional people in our, in our businesses to be able to deliver on those experiences. And I think the education piece. I think we need to make hospitality more attractive. Uh, we need we need to be able to talk to um, you know the next generation of people that are going to enter hospitality, whether it's via the school system um, to get them early and let them know that um, there's great opportunities in hospitality. I mean, what an amazing industry you get to travel. You know, if, if you're a great bartender, a chef or front of house, you'll get a job anywhere in the world. So we, we need to play to our strengths and really encourage people to enter our industry. Um, we all love it. Once you catch the hospitality bug, you're caught for life um and and i feel that you know i'm an example of that i i went to university and um have a degree in finance and accounting but as soon as i got into hospitality i knew what i wanted to do um so and i in 35 years later i'm here and i'm more engaged and and um you know excited by the opportunities than i've ever been
1: take us back to when you were young what's sort of, what sort of role did food play in
0: your family when you were a kid yeah, it played a big role. I mean, you know, we migrated. We're a classic uh, migrant story. Uh, my parents migrated in um, the early 70s, 71 from Portugal um, to Australia and, and um, from a poor background. I, I was I was born in Madeira, a small island off the coast of um, Portugal, and uh, we lived off the land and um, food was everything. I mean, I I remember my mum baking in the backyard, my dad made an oven and my mum baked in the backyard bread, we had chickens and rabbits in the backyard to begin with, well, when they were allowed back in the early 70s and food was always an important piece, it was always about family and celebrating and I, you know, and special occasions, Um, so food played a, a large role in my life all the way through and interestingly enough i have three brothers who live in brazil in sao paulo and they all ended up in hospitality as well so so yeah, by chance you know uh, this is the way that life worked out for us and i think that that was the connection to food and how we were brought up you mentioned once you caught the bug for hospitality you, you were hooked um... Take us back to that moment. What was the, the experience that brought you in? <laughs> it's They're all big stories, but I'll try and summarise. Um, in my final year of uni, there was an opportunity to start a business. Um, it was 1988. Um, the World Expo was on in Brisbane and a friend of mine, his father owned some holiday units on a small island. And his father was saying, you know, we should do something um, with those holiday units and both Angelo and I said, well, you know, there'd be a good opportunity, the Expo, and that was 1987. I said, we both said the Expo's happening in 88. Maybe we should package up holidays and and send people to um, Brisbane for the Expo. So we did that and uh, we ran some ads. I still remember we ran ads in the Telegraph and the response was incredible. We ended up sending two um, coach loads of people a week for six months and it was so it was so busy that we ended up chartering. If you can remember TAA, the uh, we ended up chartering a flight every week and um, we sold out obviously the holiday units, but we also did a deal with um, the SeaWorld Nara Resort. Um, so we booked, I think, 50 odd rooms there and we sent a plane load of people when, when it opened. I think it was about June, it was a little bit after the expo started, which was April the 30th and it ran through to October the 31st. And so um, that was my first insight into business. It was a lot of fun sending people up there and that whole hospitality component of, and we were, we were the tour guides and we were doing everything ourselves. And I got the bug, I got the bug of, you know, helping people have amazing times. And off the back of that, We bought, when I say we, myself and my partner, Angelo Grasso, um, bought a silent share in a restaurant in Haverfield called Il Tevere, which was a a fabulous local Italian restaurant. And we ended up, um, as you do, working weekends and I got the bug and um, off the back of that I knew that um, hospitality was going to be a part of my life and I really haven't looked back.
1: You mentioned being a tour guide was part of that whole package of that creation that you that you had. Do you have any stories of those experiences?
0: Oh, okay. they're always amazing. But yes, well, there are plenty of stories, some that, um, you know, probably can't mention on the airway. But, but, look, lots of good times. But I do remember meeting. Um, we were allowed out on the tarmac at the airport to meet and greet our guests We went alongside them and I always remember the look look on people's faces when they saw two 20-year-olds that um, were running this business and um, we were meeting and greeting people that were in their 40 pluses and in most cases 50 pluses so it was always interesting and they were, they were always a little bit dubious but by the time we were a couple of days in they they saw that we were absolutely committed to them having an amazing time and I think that that's what I remember most about that period was um, just the joy um, and that that our clients had but also that we had of helping people have fantastic times And they were busy busy times because we we did a lot in the seven days. We had harbor cruises. We were doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, The days that they weren't at the expo, there was a three-day expo pass. It was quite amazing.
1: How did Grand Pacific Group
0: come about? Um, Yeah. Okay. So there was a photographic exhibition at. And in the Queen Victoria building um, and a friend of mine, Stuart Maynard and myself attended and a couple of other people. And um, it was an amazing room and uh, great bones, the ballroom in, on level three at the Queen Victoria building. And I remember approaching the marketing manager, Ma- Maya Stark, Brian, I won't forget her. She's Welsh and my wife is Welsh. And I uh, approached her and I said, what are you doing with the room? And she said, oh, we're, we're not doing anything at the moment. We're just using it ourselves. I said, well, are you interested in um, leasing it on a per-use basis? And she said, let me check with um, my my bosses and I'll come back to you. Um, and next the week after she called and she said, yeah, we'll be interested. And initially we had, I mean, this is going back when the when. You'd have an answering machine, and I was—I—I I at that point had a cafe in Liverpool Street called Fly. It was a, a really cool burger bar, and there was a little theatre group upstairs. My brother had talked me into um, producing some theatre, and so we had actors upstairs, and we had a burger bar downstairs. And every i I'd—I'd at five o'clock, I'd rush up to the Queen Victoria building from Liverpool Street and check the answering machine to see if we had any um, inquiries for events. And in in that first year, I think we did somewhere around 34 events, which isn't a huge number, but um, it was beginning to look like there could be a business born out of that. And um, Maya called me one day and said, Manny, Mr Yap wants to see you. Mr Yap's this iconic legend of a man who... Um, really saved the Queen Victoria Building. He was in a hotel room at the Hilton and he saw that potentially the QVB could become a car park. So he got in contact with council and fast forward and QVB is what it is today because of Mr Yap's vision. He's a, a developer from Malaysia and um, he no longer owns it. But I still see Mr Yap from time to time at Dunbar because he lives in. Four clues when he's in Australia and he comes down and and he visits and has has breakfast. And we still talk about those early days, but he said he wanted to meet me. And uh, when I met him, uh, I can't even take the credit for the tea room. Anthony, he said to me, um, Manny, great that you're doing events really pleased, but we need this place to be active during the day. You need to do a tea room. And I thought, Oh, okay. Tea room never, never had really entered my mind. Um, I went home, spoke to Gwen, um, my wife now, but my partner at the time, and she said, "No tea room would be a good idea." You know, being British. So, Mr. Yap said, "Look, I'll send you to Raffles. You can go and have a look." He had connections at Raffles in Singapore. He said, "I'll send you to Raffles. You can go and have a look, and come back, and we'll have a chat." So, I did that. Spent a few days in in Singapore and saw what an amazing operation they had and came back engaged and ambitious and wanted to do a tea room and um, where we put we put a deal together and the tea room was born. Um, so in 2000, we opened um, the tea room and that was really the start of Grand Pacific. Group. The early days were tough. I mean, we were on level three. Um, we didn't really have the funds to market the venue. So we had to build the business client by client. Um, but you know, my view was always let's make sure everyone's happy. Let's let's create a fantastic environment for our guests. Let's go above and beyond for them. And if we can do that, you know, I, I had a, a mantra: every client must leave happy. And if we can do that, we'll have a business. Um, and you know, it took a good year to eighteen months, but we built it and continue to build it. And um, yeah, it, it grew from there, and it really. Began to fast track when I brought some great talent. Mark Holmes, who's still with me, our general manager, who was the head chef at Salt Restaurant um, at, in Darlinghurst with Luke Mangan, he joined the team and the food went up another notch. Um, Rob Crichton, who's our executive chef, he came across, he was also part of that team. Um, he came across and he's still with us today. Um, so we just began to build an amazing group of people, both. Um, in the kitchen, in front of house, and the business has continued to grow and develop from those early days. I think, you know, after the tea room, um, Gunner's Barracks came along on the north side. Um, That was an amazing experience. We were were seriously laying the tarmac down to Gunner's Barracks two days before our first wedding. Um, And it was, yeah, it was so much fun, a lot of... A lot of pressure, but absolutely loved it. We put together an amazing group of people, and that was very successful. And off the back of that, um, Sergeant Smith came along in two thousand and nine, and then Dunbar House in two thousand and eleven, um, the Palace Tea Room in two thousand and fourteen, the Blue Room in two thousand and sixteen, and and um, now we've got off the back of um, off the back of pandemic and COVID, we started our meal delivery business, Yes Chef, which is beginning to go well for us. Well, when I say well, it's it's developing and it's beginning to, to grow slowly. Um, and we've got an amazing uh, venue opening in Canberra in April of 2022 called The Marion, which is in, in an iconic location at Regatta Point. And we've just opened Lola's with uh, Marco at my first opportunity with with a partner, and it's um, yeah, it's it's exciting. With uh,
1: it, venues that are so iconic, and you've had held so many events at them, is there an, any particular event that really stands out that you can tell us about?
0: Ah, oh, there's so many events, Anthony, that are, that have been amazing. But you know, we've had incredible. Um, Nothing that really comes to mind immediately, um, but we've, we've had some incredible events, whether they're corporate, whether they're weddings. I'm always blown away at, at the amounts of money that um, are spent at these events, whether they're on flowers and styling or fireworks or entertainment. Um, but, yeah, they've, they've, there's many, um, but nothing in particular that comes to mind and stands out because there is so many. Um, but yeah, it, it always is an amazing experience to to be part of facilitating those events for clients. Now you do have a new venue, which is outside of the group. Um, Lola's on level one. How did that come about? Um, our daughters, actually. So I've got a daughter, Manon, and Marco has a daughter, Lola. And when they started at their school, I met Marco, and I was always a big fan of what Marco was doing with um, Fratelli at the time. Ten William came a little bit later, but always a huge fan of Fratelli. I think uh, what uh, Marco and um, his partners have done have been amazing. Um, They're, you know, really I don't think everybody in our industry knows, um, the iconic nature of Fratelli. The, you know, their ability to be consistent for, um, 20 years plus and still be at the top of their game, um, is a credit to them. So I always had huge respect for Marco. Um, and he's a great guy. I mean, if you meet Marco, he's a lot of fun, um, he's hospitable, he's, he's got integrity, he's warm, so he's a person that I naturally warm to and we'd, we'd initially just meet at lots of school events and kids' parties and what have you and always talk shop about what their challenges were and what our challenges were and um, we just formed the friendship and the opportunity came about because... Uh, I'd been approached about this space that was up for, um, there was an opportunity there. And in fact, initially it was, the idea would be a, a kind of summer pop-up. But um, both Marco and I, we we tend to be focused on detail and it was pretty um, quick that we realised it wouldn't be a pop-up. You know, we're interested in um, businesses that um, hopefully can stand the test of time. We never get ahead of ourselves. Um, I never do you never know what's around the corner, but we'll do our very best um, to make sure that businesses do stand the test of time. And, you know, we decided to approach Lola's with that kind of mindset that um, we want that, we want Lola's to be, to form a part of the fabric of Bondi, like some other iconic food and beverage businesses already have. And, you know, to, to be part of that uh, F and B community there at Bondi beach and, um, you know, the very early days, three weeks in, but, you know, we're really, really pr- pleased with how it's progressing. Um, again, you know, it's all about, um, people. We've put together a fantastic group of people and we're all working crazy hours again. I feel like I'm back to being 20, but, you know, absolutely, absolutely loving it. And, um, you know, really looking forward to, you know, what opportunities lay ahead and, and, um, you know, how we can develop Lolas to hopefully be, you know, a business that can be there for many more many more years to come. What's it been like uh, launching a, a new restaurant during this
1: time? And given um, that your focus has been on such a big group for so many years as well?
0: You look, at it, uh, it it has been difficult, um, particularly the resourcing and the staffing. Um, it's been tough. There's there's really um, a small pool and. Um, The industry um, is short-staffed, so it's almost everybody's competing for really good people, um, for the best people, and and that's been tough. I mean, we would love to, you know, in very simple terms, almost increase our staff count by somewhere around 30 to 40%, and that would allow us to then run our business really effectively. Everybody's putting in crazy hours at the moment that, you know, ultimately we know are not sustainable and we need to address, and that's what we're doing. You know, we've, we've made a, a big decision to close Monday and Tuesday at, at Lola's in order to um, really ease the pressure and allow our team to to have a rest and, and to um, be able to rebuild. And we're hoping that over the next um, you know four to six weeks that we can build our team and, and get back to seven days because we, we, that's what we want to do. We, we believe that part of Lola's DNA is seven days at, at Bondi Beach.
1: What sort of appetite are you seeing from your customers for events and, and going out? Is there any hesitation?
0: Uh, no. No, there's there's definitely there's definitely a demand there. Look, obviously, um, what we're seeing is the the demand piece of the business is going to come back, and it's going it, to. It, I, I think we can get back to almost normalised um, trading conditions as soon as all the restrictions are lifted. So there's a little way to go. We need to get rid of the capacity limits, etc. Um, and once we get to that point i think you'll see business come back to pre-covid levels and there's a real interest i think what covid did was really make it very clear for people that um, you know life can be disrupted um, that we're not in control of it and that we really what's important to us are are our relationships with our loved ones be it family or friends and that it's kind of i think for all of us we've realized i definitely speak for myself that you know you want you want To have those memories, you want to have those special occasions and typically the backdrop to them will be a restaurant, it will be an event venue, it will be a pub or a club um, or a hotel so I think our industry long term is in a good position because I, you know, particularly um, off the back of how people are feeling, um, but our challenges lie in how we can create our our workforce to be able to accommodate that demand. We've still got a long way to go. The events business won't change overnight. I mean, we won't get back to normalised revenue with our event business. I'd say for six between six to twelve months, um, but we're getting there. Um, restaurants, you turn, um, you know, you kind of see that a little bit more instantly. You open your doors, you switch your lights on, you fire up your ovens and, you know, effectively the phone begins to ring. Events, business, you need to plan in advance and there's a bit of a lead time, a bit of a runway before you get to capacity.
1: What sort of impact has the last year and a half had on you personally? Given you, the the long period of time that you've been in the industry, do you see your um, role and and views of the industry changed because of the last year and a half?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm saddened by the fact that um, a lot of the workforce, you know, and I'm thinking somewhere between five and 10% have left the industry and it might be even more than that. Uh, within my business, it's definitely around that number have actually left the industry and are not coming back to it because of, um, you know, the, the security and the stability issues around our industry. Uh, and I'm saddened by that because we have an amazing industry and, um, and and unfortunately, people do need to put food on their table and a roof over their head, so they've had to make those big decisions. Um, so that part of it. The other piece is to really be supportive of our, our team, the people that have decided to stay in our industry and be a part of the journey together. I, I really I feel that our industry, we need to look after our people better than what we have. We need to create better work conditions for them. And and I definitely, in all of my um, dialogue with my team, it's about creating best practice workplace for our team. I think that that's going to be critical. I almost feel that um, the businesses that will flourish and survive will be the businesses that look after their teams and and create best practice in terms of the work environment. And I definitely think that that's front and centre of how I'm feeling about our business. um and, you know, I'm really, I'm really focused on creating experiences for our, our business, you know, for, sorry, for our clients through our business. I think, you know, let's, let's make sure that every opportunity we get to impress our clients that we do that in, and that might be just, just by saying, you know, having, a, having a conversation, you know, genuine care. Going above and beyond, attention to detail—all of those factors that we know can make a difference. But you know, ultimately, it's about caring, and I think people feel that.
1: You mentioned you got hooked on hospitality after a finance degree. What is it that you love about what you do in the hospitality
0: sector? Uh, I, I love, I love people. I love, um, I love chatting to people. I love people in general. I love their stories. Um, And I like to make people happy. That's part of who I am. Um, And the other piece is I I, I enjoy business. I love, um, you know, putting groups of people together and finding a common thread that we can all aim up at and try to achieve as a team. Um, I love doing that. Um, I love creating a fun work environment. Uh, But I have a serious side as well. And and I, I like to try and achieve goals. So I love all of that part of it. So that's that's really attracted me to hospitality. There's there are so many moving parts in hospitality. You know, we're not making one particular product and you know, we've got long term clients that sell, you know, effectively, let's call it the widget factory. Um, you know, in our in our world, our world's moving all the time and, and you you're being judged, every service, you know, you're being held accountable. Um, so I love all of that and that's really what's attracted me to the industry.
1: With uh, events and the industry opening up again, um, there'll come a time when we're all busy. What are you most looking forward to?
0: Oh, what am I most looking forward to traveling? Can't wait to travel. (laughs) Um, Haven't traveled since um, 2008. When I say haven't traveled, I haven't traveled overseas since 2018. So really want to um, hop on a plane with the family, go and visit, go and explore. I love travelling. Um, my wife's family's in Wales. I've got family um, in Portugal. We love to go see um, Europe, you know, and, and I learn so much when I'm travelling. I'm always looking at what um, people are doing um, not only in my industry, but in architecture and other industries. In, um, and I love learning. So I really miss the travel and I just love different cultures, you know, experiencing. So really looking forward to that um, and just looking forward to people having hope again. I think it's been a tough um, two years for most people. And um, I think we all as humans hang on to hope and that our lives will all improve. And I'm looking forward to everyone feeling that a little bit more and feeling that there's more hope. Um, so they're the things I'm looking forward to. But, yeah, definitely travel. Can't wait. Can't wait to take the kids and Gwen and um, go and experience. I think we're planning already for next year. Well, I think there's many people feeling that way, Manny, and it's been an
1: absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. Have a gr- have a great day. Take care.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.